Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week, founder Paul interviews Claire Kenny, an employee wellbeing specialist. I think you're really gonna like this one. Claire has some really refreshing views on how we can thrive in the current workplace. If you think EveryMind at Work can help your business, head over to everymindatwork.com to get a free trial. And if you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. Enjoy the show. Cool. So Claire, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, we were just talking off off record about the magnets behind you and your love <laughs> of traveling. And um, it's got me a bit, actually, I want to go traveling again. And I'm sure you're the same. And this isn't the greatest period to think of that either. We were driving the other day and I drove past Heathrow and I just thought, God, I want to be stuck waiting in a queue in Heathrow. And yeah. I never thought I would want yeah. to do that. I want my plane <laughs> to be delayed. And I'm just in the yeah. airport. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, but I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But Claire, let's just start by, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? Yeah, sure. So my name is Claire Kenny. Um, I live in Surrey with my husband, um, my eight-month-old daughter, um, three dogs and two cats. So it's quite hectic in this house. <laughs> um, I'm really passionate about um, mental and physical well-being. Um, and it's one of the main reasons that I started the business that I'm in today, because um, I was listening to a podcast uh, about a week ago where this the guy was talking about work-life balance and how he really hates that term because work is your life you know is part of your life and to be like enduring work just to get to your life seems like such a a shame so um, I started my business with the idea of thinking about how can we bring well-being into the workplace and um, normalizing mental health conversations and um, making sure that that time where you're you know such a majority of your waking hours you're at work can be a fulfilling um, experience for people. Um, in terms of my experience, so I've worked for about 15 years in people management roles um, through different consultancies and training um, organisations, kind of slightly different industries. So I've worked um, in sort of psychology training, um, leadership development and also digital marketing, but I've always headed up teams and that's always been the thing I've been most passionate about is how do you help lead teams through change how do you su support them through difficult times and how do you make sure that um, they're engaged with, with you as an organization and the, the strategies that you have nice. um, in terms of personal stuff i like to um, I like to exercise and I like to eat to have a nice balance. <laughs> um, I really like animals and nature. As we said, I like to travel and um, I liked, I really like listening to podcasts and audiobooks much more than watching the TV or, or reading. Awesome. Nice. And, and was it like a doing the work that you do, was there sort of a, a personal reason or was it like a, a passion for you to want to do what you do? Because I'm, I'm sure like trying to support employees with their well-being is a sort of, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that normally comes from something that you're driven to do or you've got that purpose yeah. to do that. Yeah. So I've got quite a lot of personal experience of not putting my well-being above my career. So I used to work in a, a very a very rewarding but very demanding role. Um, and I developed very quickly in that role. And then I went out and I spent two years living in Asia, setting up our Asia business out there. And um, I look back on my time in Asia and I did some incredible travel and you know it was an amazing experience. But I I can look at it from a distance and say I was really mentally 
unhealthy when I was when I was there. I was working mm. constantly. I'd work later than my UK employee and my UK colleagues. So um, so I'd be doing like eight or nine hours of overtime every night. And um, I was a, I was in a global role. So you know at the crack of dawn New Zealand would be getting up and then Australia and then we'd have Asia and then I'd be all of my colleagues are in the UK so I'd be on calls with them during the UK and then America so I never switched off I'd be checking my phone in the middle of the night um, and I felt that my happiness was really based on whether things went right or wrong in my job even though I couldn't control that so it'd be like this weekend will be fine I'll have a nice time this weekend and I'll be relaxed if this goes okay so I was I had no ability to set any boundaries I was um, like to be able to just say right I'm going to switch off or you know I, I don't need to do as, as much was you know really put that pressure on me and for, that was one of the lead things that kind of led me to um, then have anxiety and that's something that I have you know struggled with for about the past decade and I can very much see that it was the way in which I approached that role that led to that so it is a real personal thing for me especially when I then moved into another role about five years ago where I didn't feel that at all and I felt I was given the toolkit to set my own boundaries. Um, I felt I was given the support to talk about my mental health and to be able to do just as hard a job with just as many demands and, and it feel completely different so it, it, that for me just it felt so important that there's different ways in which you can approach your role and approach your um your demands and and kind of the way that you frame it and the way that you approach it means that you can get a completely different outcome so having had that first-hand experience and then seeing how it can be different really led me to want to show other people that and mm. and I've 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 done a lot of counseling you know I've, I've worked on my anxiety I've you know I've, I've lost both of my parents and so I've, I've done a lot of counseling so I've had like five years of very um intense um training and um you know upskilling when it comes to how to manage your own mental health but lots of people don't have that so how can how can we support people in the in the workplace to be able to do that amazing and thank you for sharing and it's you know that's kind of what what i see is you know my i, I do this because of personal personal reasons and mm. personal experience and um you know i lost my dad to suicide which I'm very vocal about and you know I was the same as you 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 I had to learn how to adapt and manage my mental health because I was just getting deeper and deeper into this dark mm. hole um and I think it's a shame that that's the case like people who are very passionate about helping people with mental health typically have had to have gone through it before mm. because we're not educated on this sort of early on um which of course is something that we're looking to change and, and by the sounds of it you are as well but you yeah. mentioned something about sort of working long, long hours. Mm. Um, and I've literally just come off a webinar because one of the key insights and data that we're seeing from the employees using the EveryMind app is struggling to switch off and problems yeah. with sleep. Um, so talking about sort of, I hate talking about it, but talking about sort of COVID-19, lockdown, working from home, you know, have you seen that being an issue as well with this sort of line of work that you're doing, sort of employees yeah. struggling to switch off? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that there, uh, there's a few ways in which people are experiencing it. So one is there's, and this is, you know, with the um, digital becoming so, so much more mainstream for everybody is that you're always on, you can always be got from some different platform. Um, and a coachee that I've worked with said, she'll you know, there's an email and then someone's Skyping her and then she's getting a video call mm. and then she's missing something that came through MS Teams and she's just got so many different platforms and she's not really sure which one she should be focusing on. And when she tries to shut down, there's always one that she's forgotten and, you know, kind of people still are getting through. And also, if you're not used to working from home and you don't have that experience, it, it's really hard to know what the boundaries are. And if you're not lucky mm. enough to have a separate room that you can shut at the end of the night, how do you go, right, well, I'm moving from my dining table to my couch and that's my commute and now I'm at home and I'm, I'm not going to work on my laptop and I'm going to shut it away and have those boundaries. I think it can be really, really difficult. Um, and, and some people are working at a table with all of their housemates as well. And I think that it just becomes even more challenging to, and, and even more important to have your own self-management skills because you don't have a caring boss going, you know, it's time to go home, you can, you can go home now. And I, and I also think that a lot of people they would wouldn't think twice about leaving at 4 p.m. on a Friday. They've done their they've done their hours. They've been to the office. And they're going to go and they're going to go to the pub with their friends. Whereas now people feel if they leave at four on a Friday, what if someone tries to you know message them and they're not there? Or people think they've been slacking all day. You know, that mm. I think that in some ways it's tipped to people feeling like they have to be present all the time and they have to be on every um, conference call and every video call. Otherwise, people might assume that they're taking a nap when usually people work longer hours when they're working from home than they do in yeah. office anyway. Yeah, 100%. And I think we, we was discussing this today as well, like how I'm, I'm sure it's the same with a lot of people. We're, we're almost having more meetings now yes. than we were in the office because, yeah. you know, I can just jump on a Zoom with you and then we can come yeah. up, jump on a Zoom with someone else or whatever. And even, even webinars and workshops, like same with you, I'm sure you deliver a lot of your stuff in person, right? But now yeah. it's become virtual you know, I can deliver four webinars in a day, five webinars in a day. Yeah. You have no switch off period. And I think it is that sort of setting boundaries. Um, you mentioned about one of sort of when you are an experience sort of seeing a good way of doing it, like an employee giving you the toolkit, et cetera. Mm. So can you sort of um, share in terms of the differences? Is, is setting boundaries something that's just down to the individual? Or as an employer, can we do something to encourage employees to set boundaries too? I think it's really important that you do as an employer um, encourage people. Um, I've seen an example recently that I've, I've found really frustrating is that the employer is consistently saying, you must take time for yourself, you must prioritize your well-being, but they do nothing else to back that up. So they're putting all of the responsibility on the individuals and they've got about 60% of their staff furloughed. The rest of the staff are picking up everything else. They're incredibly stressed. They're incredibly overworked. And then they're also being told, and you must manage your own well-being. And actually, it just it's just more frustrating than it is supportive to be keep getting mm -hmm. those messages. So it's, oh, you must take a lunch break, but you've just booked... A meeting in for my lunch hour so you're not actually doing anything to back that up and and, and how am I supposed to do, how am I supposed to do that myself because we're never very good 
we're our own like we're our own worst enemy when it comes to our own yeah. our own well-being we're much better at saying to our other half or our friend you know don't be so critical of yourself please you know take some time so I think as an organization you have to follow up with real tangible action say you need to be taking care of your well-being that means that we're going to do a policy that means that nobody has calls between one and two. So everyone can go and take a walk, make sure you get outside, um, you know, go um, have your lunch outside, do something that just feels that's away from your desk. Um, and also policies like saying, I, I as a leader will never send emails at the weekend and I have no expectation of you sending emails at the weekend and even if you want to work on the weekend but you set them all to go on Monday morning that just really makes the difference of the kind of culture mm. and the expectations you're you're um, you're showing your employees what what you what you think they should be doing yeah I love that because again it's there's a, a real sort of you know communication element where it's like you've got to look after your mental health mental health is important you've got to do this but it's actually providing them with the the like you said earlier the toolkit or the suggestions or the strategies to be able to do something with it as well it's all right saying you must do it but you need to give them something extra than that as well and if we all knew how to do it we'd all be fine right (laughs) there would be no yeah i mean therapists there would be you know no organizations like us people don't know how to prioritize their mental health and how to to focus on their well-being and you need someone else to to show you how to do that yeah exactly And and that's the same as you i'm guessing as well you know i'm very vocal when when i'm sharing my proactive mental health strategies and why it's important and self-care is a priority self-care is not a luxury and all of that and then i'm very honest and say but i still have to force myself because naturally i will just my to-do list will be ringing in my head Mm -hmm. there's no point going for that walk you've got to do this there's no point going for that run or whatever um i think it is just that constant reminder isn't it you know there's never just a i'm going to look after my mental health everything's going to be fine it is constantly reminding yourself to do so yeah i i've got a a best friend and we're very much each other's reminder so she'll say oh i've I've been really stressed today and i'll say the things to her that she can't say to herself and she'll say the things to me that um i can't say to myself and that's something you can do at work as well where you've got a mental health buddy that reminds you last week you did say you were going to leave and go to the gym and you haven't so what's going on there yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. But in terms of sort of your your experience, have you seen employers focusing more on employee well-being during this sort of difficult period? I think it varies. I think there's definitely a lot more people talking about it, um, mm. whether they're following it up with tangible action is it d- definitely varies. There are organisations mm. where I've seen some some great examples um, and then others where it is focus on your mental health but not really knowing what to do about it and I do understand why organizations they're under so much pressure they don't really know how to how to start with with employee well-being it's it's only really been something in the past few years that we've talked more about so for a lot of people it feels like a fluffy nice to have and we're in the middle of a global pandemic and why would we be doing fluffy nice to haves (laughs) whereas actually it's just fundamentally the building blocks of making sure that all of your employees can work sustainably and won't mm. burn out and are able to to like be pro- be productive and you know aren't, you aren't losing people to sickness um you know and attrition and stuff like that and in terms of 
good examples, I think that it's really important to check in with your staff. So um, I know of an organization that would usually probably do twice a year, would do like a pulse survey or a PCON survey. And now they're doing them every two months, I think, and um, mm -hmm. to really just regularly check in because things change so much. And, you know, in 2020, there's so many changes all the time. So to be regularly checking in on how people feel um, in terms of their well-being and their workload and their um, sort of engagement to the organization, the my biggest piece of advice with something like that is um don't um don't not follow up the worst thing is to send out all these surveys and then not tell people why well you know what the actions are people then feel like they're shouting into a black hole and there's no actions mm. coming out of it um so that's you know i think that's really important one example i've seen a few times that I really like and I think can be extremely powerful is having um, senior um, management members of the senior management sharing their mental health stories. Mm -hmm. So say, you know, standing up there, you know, either on a video call or newsletter or however they want to do it in terms of format and saying, I've got anxiety, I've suffered with depression, I'm an alcoholic, I've been sober 10 years, this is how it's impacted my career. Because it really shows authentic leadership and it creates a safe space for people to feel I, you know, I can talk about that stuff as well. Um, that's that's um, you know, there, there's an there's an open forum for us to talk about this, um, and it creates an emotional rapport as well, so people feel more engaged in the organisation. And I know that if I if I, you know, I, in my last organisation, I had I had um, a cons consultant who did do that with me, and suddenly I felt so much more. I almost was like, oh, no, let me tell you everything that, you know, that's been holding me back. That's actually been mm. making me be half a person. I'm turning up to work as this polished version of myself when actually that's not real at all. And us being able to have that open conversation really makes a, a massive difference. So I think that's a really powerful thing that can be done that costs no money. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what I was going to say. The, the two things that you've really just mentioned there, you know, regular check and encouraging employees and senior managers to share their story costs nothing right it's yes. literally just you know empowering employees to, to share their story and, and empowering them to sort of check in as well I really liked as well what you've said in terms of survey in a way it's you know letting them know we hear you these are the actions mm -hmm. that we're taking you know we're trying to make these steps forward to change um just quickly on the kind of check-in piece is there kind of like advice that you'd recommend to do it? Because I've had this question a lot recently and it's so true that if we're in an office right now, me and you, you know, you might be sitting next to me. I could read, yeah, Claire, you know, how's the holidays or, you know, how's yeah. the little one or whatever. And we'd have that casual conversation. Mm -hmm. And then I'd walk over to the room and I'd speak to maybe someone else. And you've constantly got more check-ins in an office where I probably wouldn't text you and say, Claire, do you want a quick five minute talk yeah. about how you're feeling? Or, yeah. and then I'll message Joe, Joe, you know, I would normally walk past you going on to the way to the kitchen. I'm just going to check in and you're okay. So what advice would you give to kind of have more regular check-ins as, as we're working remote? Yeah, I've actually just written an article about this, about how to be more, build a more successful remote working culture. And it's never going to be possible to completely recreate that spontaneous 
conversation and the ideas you get and also the way in which you learn so you might spot someone else and go oh, I see that you're you know right doing a presentation I did something similar last year let me share this stuff with you that you just don't get if everyone's working remotely and mm. um, but I think that one of the best ways to do that is to pick a pick a platform so people use slack um, you know ms ms teams um like workplace facebook workplace and stuff like that and not just have that be business communications you having options um my husband's organization they have pup dates and i can't remember what the cat pun one is but it's you know people share pictures of their dogs and people are able to comment and it means you talk across different teams it's an opportunity to just do something that feels a bit more playful yeah and um, and then you can have you know, hours where it's like, well, everyone can log into this, um, onto this platform, onto this, um, into this room, and we can all have a virtual coffee, and we can have a chat, or we can drop people, uh, people an email, or if you want to spark ideas, instead of saying, right, I'm going to set up yet another video call, it could say, I've, I've shared a Google document, and I put the ideas in, I'd love people to, to, for us to throw some ideas around, so it doesn't even have to be in real time, you can put something down someone else can come later and then if you need to follow up with a call in a couple of weeks great but you've already got so far down 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 the road in terms of um, throwing around those ideas so i think there are ways in which you could do stuff digitally it'll never be quite the same but if you encourage using the platform in ways in which encourage that then you, you can get some of it back yeah, I like that. And I think if we look at the advantages as well, you know, if, if we're in an office environment, you know, it's quite a silent culture mm. and I'm, I'm struggling, you know, am I going to turn around to you and say like, Claire, you know, I'm really struggling because there's, mm-hmm. I'm in this office environment, everyone's around me. Whereas working from home, you know, I could, I, I know that you're quite open about your anxiety. I could easily open up Slack, drop you a private message and just say, yeah. I didn't really want to send you this, but you know, I'm not in a good place at the moment. Then it's like you doing the check-in of why don't we jump on a, you know, a zoom yeah. and have a coffee or something like that. So I, I think, you know, I, I do a lot of um, work for men's mental health and I always sort of say the best way to try and get men to talk isn't sort of face-to-face mm. eye contact. That's very sort of daunting for them. Yeah. Sometimes it is like a, you know, a WhatsApp message and then it's then meeting them in person, and, yeah. you know, having that conversation. So I think it's looking at those, those positives as well. Um, is there anything else that you've seen organizations do to gain some good results for mental health in the workplace? Um, so something I mentioned before, which is about upskilling people with their own toolkits, I think is is really important um, and that can be done through coaching through training online stuff like so things like your app so people being able to to look at stuff and find their own tools to help i think is really important that people feel invested in that um fundamentally like well-being um initiatives are great and important but the, th- the main contributors to people's well-being is that they're not overworked and that they're paid well mm-hmm. and that they don't feel that the stress of that so it's not it's not always about going okay well um let's do yoga on tuesdays mm-hmm. it's about fundamentally looking at your culture um and thinking about how um you know are people getting the right work-life balance are they getting paid um fairly for the role they do and then also 
thinking about culturally how do um how how confident do people feel can they can they call their boss and say um I, I'm feeling depressed and I, I, I'm going to go to my doctor. I know personally that for a long time I would call in with physical, I'd make up a physical illness to cover up for a mental illness mm-hmm. when going to work. So how do you empower people to be able to call up their boss and um, and, and, and say that kind of stuff? And how do you role model that as leaders um, to, to be open about some of your struggles? Because mental health is not something that happens to a few people. We all have our mental health and sometimes we're better and sometimes we're worse. And that's, you know, something that um, happens to everyone throughout their lives. And um, I think also, I think also one of the biggest contributors having spoken to people I I, you know I like to interview individuals about their specific experiences you know what's worked for them in an organization and what they'd like to see more of and one of the biggest contributors to people's well-being at work is their direct line manager so you could make everything seem wonderfully supportive in the culture um, and you could have different toolkits and different training available but if your line manager isn't someone that you feel you can talk to about, um, you know, the, the demands you have or, you know, mental um, struggles that you're having, then nothing's really going to work. So I, I always think about how do we focus on the line manager population? How are they able to really see what an effective employee well-being culture looks like? Um, how can they talk? with their um, direct reports about mental health in an open, non-judgmental way? How are they able to support people? How can you give them the, um, the ownership and the empowerment to be able to say, yes, you can, do, you can do flexible working. And I don't need to get that signed off by HR. You know, I'm empowered mm. to a certain level to be able to give you flexible working because I feel it will help you with your well-being. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, um, I think that's really important that that direct relationship is a positive one for people because I think it can often, um, a lot of people will, you know, will cite relationship with their line manager as the reason why they've left a role. So I think that being able to upskill people there is really important. Yeah, I like that as well, because again, and it comes back to that whole, like you said, if, if we can encourage senior managers, line managers to, to be open and honest about mental health, the fact that we all have it and and they're Mm -hmm. struggling as well, you know, everyone has it on a different level, but there's still this perception that if I'm vulnerable, you're going to judge my performance. Or if I'm vulnerable, uh-huh. I'm not a very good leader, right? So it's that yeah. encouraging those line managers to just be honest, you know? Yeah. And, th- and then that changes that dynamic in that sort of team. And, and that can have a massive impact on culture. I also like what you said as well about um, earlier, you alluded to it about intent, you know, companies doing yoga on a Tuesday, mm. this, 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 but there's zero strategy behind mm-hmm. it. Like there's zero intent of if we do this, what's this going to achieve? Yeah. How are we going to, you know, help our employees? And, you know, I talk about this a lot as well, but do you sometimes think that mental health is still treated as a tick box exercise for some organizations? Yes. I think that, um, like I said, with the, with the yoga, um, it's that, and, and I, I can understand why people, you know, when they're under, under such pressure financially, you know, it's been a crazy year for people to go, I just want to tick that box and feel that we've done it. Mm. But actually supporting employee well-being is something that has to be 
fully baked into a culture and you don't create culture through ticking a box you have to look at the way everybody behaves you have to look at the type of people you're hiring you have to look at the way in which you're you're um, building your strategy and what are the things that are helping you build your goals for an organization and is employee well-being one of them because if it's only about the financial gain and you're not thinking about employee well-being when you're building your strategy you can't add it on and expect to be really really effective when it comes to that and then how do you approach i think that 2020 will be such a year where it's helped us think more outside of the box about how we can approach stuff but you know how do you approach people's different needs when it comes to flexible working working from home or working from the office that some people do have realized that they need now i think that a lot of people want to just tick that box it feels like employee well-being is a is a box tick and we've got fruit in the kitchen hmm. and um you know you've got reduced gym membership and yoga got an EAP as well don't yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but actually you know that's great that i've got my my discount for the gym but if i if i don't feel like i can push back on a piece of work because I need to protect my well-being, if I don't feel confident to say that my health is more important than anything, you know, then then I don't feel like that you're getting it right as an organisation. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and that does, and, and you can still be very financially driven and care about this stuff because when people have better well-being, the, the money that you gain from productivity, from reducing attrition, from less sick days, from the engagement you get from employees, it's been measured time and time again that the financial gains of this. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what what you know what I'm challenged by at the moment, and I'm sure it's the same with you, is is if you take an organization of 200 employees and as an example, right? And let's say that company really wants to push the mental health agenda, but they want to do it because they know the return on investment now, you know, they know that Mm -hmm. potentially it could be, you know, good for the business in terms of monetary value. Then they task one individual who's Mm -hmm. the HR director who deals with everything else anyway with doing that. So now you're like, and as you say, mental health is so hard anyway. We don't even know how to manage our own mental health. But now you're saying to just one person who does a full-time job anyway, um, you've got to go and improve the mental health of 200 people. And it's like that they still want the results. They want the return on investment. They want to prove that this is working, but they're not actually putting any strategy behind Mm -hmm. it. They're not, you know, investing time in the experts doing it. It's just, oh, this one individual can dramatically change culture. And as you know, and I know, it's far more complex than that. Yeah. And, and, and you can often find with any, you know, project or any change management that if the if HR is saying one thing, but your CEO is saying or behaving in a different way, it, it, it's really hard to, to implement anything effectively. So mm. HR might be saying, right, we should all, take lunch breaks we should all be um prioritizing our own well-being but if the ceo is working constant hours and is sending emails at all you know all times then what message are you really going to listen to yeah 100 percent. and you you said something when we first started about work-life balance which i want to ask and then we'll mm-hmm. go into the quick fire round i'll sure. ask you the three quick questions um work-life balance is very interesting to me so 
can you just explain what work-life balance means to you? So I, it, I have, you know, done a lot of roles that I think have led me to doing this. And as I said, I just came back from maternity leave and I started on Monday and I sat down and I felt really excited because I was doing something that, uh, you know, I'd done so much over maternity leave because it was something that just naturally was so interesting and I was so passionate mm. about listening to podcasts and writing articles, discussing it with different people, doing research. So I sat down and I just felt really excited. So to me, I could really picture that that work was life and life was work and that that mm. was that was fine it didn't feel like oh well, I'll get through the day and and then you know I'll be able to relax again not that you can relax when you have a baby really it's you <laughs> know in the way it sort of flips the other way you relax when you're at uh, work when you've got a baby <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so so that for me felt really important but I also understand that not everybody is going to find something that they're like I'm really excited and it was also just Monday and uh, you know ask me again in three months and I'm like Oh God, Monday again. <laughs> but um, I think it's about being able to enjoy your work so that it's not something that you have to endure to get to the point where you can relax. We, I, I, I heard something that was talking about how lots of people just wait for retirement. That's mm -hmm. a real risk of your life, you know, and then you get to retirement and then suddenly something happens and you can't do all that traveling that you wanted to do. You can't, you know, write that book that you wanted to. I think that your life is now, it's happening all the time. So how do you make sure every day has a bit of everything mm -hmm. that makes you happy? Um, and I once was asked a question about four years ago where I always saw of success as being the next step in my career, pushing for my career, you know, earning lots of money and being thought of as really successful. And, you know, look mm. on my LinkedIn, am I successful? And someone said to me, surely success is just being happy, right? And I, I felt like so stupid. <laughs> I hadn't ever equated success as just being happy. And happiness looks different to different people. And for some people, it might be being the CEO of that company. For some other people, it might be having a job that they cannot worry about and go home and not have to think about it. And other people, it might be about doing their passion projects, being creative, being able to really live their dream. So for me, it's being able to just live your life, be happy in whatever way that, whatever way that means to you, and making sure that the balance is is right and especially once mm. you have children as you as you said you have children um you do learn when when you're just working for the sake of working mm -hmm. and you go i could i i could i could be so much more productive just sat playing with my child versus this and i think it helps you cut those ties and, and walk away from your work as well it's so there's so much there that i want to like <laughs> ideas were popping around my head and now I've forgotten half of them there's I, I, I agree with you so much you know the, the biggest lesson that I learned obviously with my with my dad very sadly is my dad was a very hard-working engineer he had a part-time physiotherapy business he was very academic he went and got a psychology degree you know and and um my dad's you know suicide was a massive shock to us because mm. we really didn't know mm. you know that he was struggling there was there was a six-month period leading up to it but before that there was no signs um 
And my dad's aim in life was to retire at 50. And he, he took his own life at 45. And that yeah. was for me, like, that's why I left that job within a couple mm. of months. And I started a business because I was, you know, I use that as a bit of a driver of, as you've said, I don't want to wait for life. Like I'd rather go and, you know, enjoy life. And then what you said as well about, you know, success and the vision of success, you know, it was only a couple of months ago where, uh, you know, I woke up one day and throughout the day, this very rarely happens, but I had this almost clarity and peace of mind where I wasn't really worrying about much and my mind was quite quiet. And I was like, wow, like this is success, you know? And yeah. I grew up wanting money, a bigger house, a nice job, like a successful business, all of this. But I never sat there at 10, 11 years old and say, I just want peace of mind. Like, yeah. I just want a clear mind with like, yeah. you know, and, well, and it's, what, it's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's the clear mind was almost like, you know, there were still worries popping in, but I was actually like, I'm pretty content. Like, mm. you know, I don't feel like I need that bigger house that, you know, nicer car on the drive, whatever. Um, and, and I think that's, a conversation we need to have around success especially in the workplace too isn't it you know we do feel like employees are motivated by money but you know a lot of them aren't really they're, no. they're motivated by that kind of enjoyment of their work yeah. and, and how that carries through to life as well yeah F funnily enough I the job that I had that I went, was in Asia for the reason I got the strength to leave that job was when my mum died just realized mm. life was too short to live that kind of life and, it seems always um, that way, doesn't it? It's yeah. That kind of wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. You really yeah. need something like kind of quite significant to happen to, to, to kind shake of you out of it. Like, yeah. 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 So true. Yeah. And, and I think as well, like when you look at work life balance, as you were saying, work life balance to me feels like they have to be balanced. So, mm. like, 50 50. So, I should be working 50% of the time. I should be yeah. enjoying life 50% of the time. And as you've said, like you I love my work so working on a weekend doesn't feel like a chore to me mm. so I do enjoy that and I always feel like work-life balance is almost like a seesaw yeah the way that I kind of see it is like sometimes I'm working a lot and and yeah. my family are impacted you know I'm not being as you know such a hands-on dad everything but I don't beat myself up on that all I know is I've now got to go the other way like yeah work, like full yeah. in as a dad full in as like a yeah. husband and all of that um because getting that balance, I think, is never, it's impossible, right? You're never going to yeah. get that 50-50 balance in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so three quick questions. Yes. And we could talk for ages, right? Because I'm sure this is more <laughs> I could ask you. Um, first question, best purchase you've made under £100 recently? Um, so recently I have been um, buying tickets to go to um, wildlife drawing classes. Okay, nice. so this is um this wonderful woman called jenny weber who does it's like life drawing classes but instead of a nude model you do different rescue animals nice. so i've done miniature piglets um wolves greyhounds and i um, last weekend um did a skunk <laughs> drew a skunk um and i really enjoyed them because i was really creative and artistic as a child and i sort of just lost that and it came back in lockdown where i was like what, what can i do to to you know just have a hobby really um so that's something that i started doing more of in lockdown and then as lockdown eased and the classes came open again i've been doing that and it's my it's my real kind of treat uh, away from um childcare to just go out and do something creative and i love animals so it's that's really amazing. nice to see, see new and stuff i've like never a, seen before 
Yeah, it must be quite like a mindful activity yeah. as well. It feels really mindful. Yeah, it definitely mm. does. Nice, cool. And um, what advice would you give to the younger self, your younger self? Um, so it's something that we just talked about, actually, um, is that success is happiness and contentment. It's not numbers in a in a bank account or you know levels in a career. Um, there are lots of things that contribute to your happiness. But the happiness is your success, and and mm. and that looks different for different people. And so, what you might think is success might be different for someone else, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then finally, if there's one thing a HR professional can do, listen to this to better support their staff, what would it be? And I know that's quite a big question actually, but if there's one thing a HR professional could do, what would it be? I think I'd start with your line management population, mm. um, get them to understand um change you know some of the more maybe more old-fashioned attitudes and help them with some tools because then they can cascade down you can actually start with a smaller group of people um to to upskill um and then they're able to have those conversations and i think that that can make a real positive ripple effect quite quickly yeah on that as well have you seen that the line managers that aren't very open to mental health, is there a way of getting through to them in, in your in your opinion? I think you have to change people's mindsets of what mental health is. Mm. And I think that we all have our mental health and sometimes we've got a cold and sometimes we have a broken leg and that's the same with your mental health and trying not to just think of it as, you know, oh, it's these disorders or you know things that I've never had so people just kind of being able to to reframe it from a different perspective and understand that it doesn't have to be so scary or, yeah. or something that they've never experienced yeah I love that it's education isn't it because mm, yeah you know I, ne I never blame anyone for being dismissive of mental health because it's purely a lack of education it's yes. purely you know the the conditioning that they've grew they've grew up in and I think as you've said it's there's a still a really blurred line between mental health and mental illness. Whenever we're talking about yeah. mental health, we naturally default into mental illness, you know, depression, yeah. anxiety, yeah. as yeah. you said. So it's that framing it of mental yeah. health is something you have, we have, we all have, and we should be able to, to manage it and talk about yeah. it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Claire, where can people find out a little bit about you as well? Uh, so, yeah, you can go to my website, uh, which is www.claireekenny.com. Um, and that's got all the information in terms of what I do and how I can support different organizations. I also do one-to-one -one coaching as well. So you can find out more about me there or you can look me up on LinkedIn as well. Cool. Thank you so much for, for coming on to the, the No Every problem. Podcast. It was fun. I really appreciate your advice. Thank you. Cheers.